Amen. You guys can grab a seat. Thank you for singing with us. Thank you, team, for leading us as well. Um, today is an exciting day for me. It's an exciting day in the life of Reachway as well. Um, Reachway, if, if you're not uh, caught up to speed on kind of our story and our timeline as a church, we officially launched as a church September 23rd. So just about a month ago, uh, we kind of became this new church in this neighborhood. And all this summer, this last summer of 2018, we were kind of gearing up for September 23rd and beyond. And part of that was sharing with other churches and other pastors and leaders in this area and in surrounding areas that support us what we feel like God wants to see done in the North Valley of Peoria through Reachway Church. And that looked like me going to different churches. That looked like some of you telling people that you knew at, at other churches or different friend groups or family circles. And it kind of culminated into the opening of a new church. And we received an incredible amount of support. And we are still receiving an incredible amount of support as a new church in Peoria. And today, we get the opportunity to be that kind of a blessing to another new church in Peoria. And I am really, really excited for the opportunity to be able to do that. So part very much in line with our Love Peoria series is that um, we're going to get behind a new church that is already up to stuff in their neighborhood as they look ahead to a launch themselves. But I'll let their pastor explain that. Um, but before I, I invite him up, I would like to talk about Pastor Gary and Divergent City Church. Um, they have laid claim in the South Side. Now, what's cool for, for me to be able to say this is a lot of you know that Ty, my wife, uh, teaches third grade at Harrison Elementary School in the South Side of Peoria. Divergent City Church has chosen to adopt. Harrison Elementary School. And what that looked like, uh, personally, was when Ty had parent-teacher conferences just a few weeks ago, their church fed all of the teachers in the school because they were there from 7 a.m. until 7 p.m. meeting with parents and family members. Um, I say that, just one little snapshot of who they are as a church, to say this, is that they've got the same heartbeat as we do. And I think that both of our churches have the heartbeat of God. I, I really do believe that. Um, and so this is a church that, that I'm super excited to get behind. And I'm really excited to hear from Pastor Gary and, and a lot of their team and churches here today as well. Um, so I, I want to let you know this as well. As, as we've done this here at Reachway before, and we'll do it again, is we're going to be at the end of service, uh, we're going to be receiving a free will offering. Because we want to be behind them in our prayers and we want to be behind them with our physical service to them, but we also understand that there are costs affixed to starting a new church, and we are going to get behind them with some of our dollars as well. So we're going to be talking a lot more about that at the end, but I do want you to know that we're going to be getting behind them with our money uh, this morning as well, because we give as we have been given. So um, without further ado, would you help me welcome Pastor Gary um, to be with us. Good morning. All right, there's one person here this morning. Good morning. All right. Are we all awake this morning? 
All right, about two people awake. That's always good to hear. I am very excited um, to be here this morning with you guys. Um, I'm here accompanied by my lovely wife, Nicole, and some of our team here sitting in the first and second row. Um, I want to first thank Pastor Seth. You guys have a phenomenal pastor. Um, If you don't know that, you need to know that. Your pastor is phenomenal. Can we just give it up for him? Thank you. Him and I connected um, a little bit ago, and it was evident, like he said, that our hearts are very similar, our hearts to reach the communities in which our, church, our churches occupy. Our hearts are kind of line in line, and yes, line in line with the heart of God, and we are excited not only to be here with you guys, but to serve alongside you guys. We were here when you guys did your outdoor event, and Pastor will be talking about some other stuff later this, later this uh, afternoon about some other things that we're going to do, but we're just excited to be here. So I want to thank you guys for even just having us with you all this morning. Um, So just some quick background about myself and about our church. Um, The name of our church, like Pastor Seth said, is Divergent City Church. Um, My wife and I are Peoria transplants. We're originally from New York City. Um, How we winded up in Peoria, we just closed our eyes and we chose a spot on the map. No, that's right. Um, we were born and raised in New York City, and we had just really been praying about a change of scenery and where it is that God wanted to lead us. Um, and we winded up smack in the Midwest, coming from the East Coast, big city. Um, we wind up smack in the middle of the United States. Um, but we thank God for that. We, my wife and I served in ministry for years in New York. I was a youth pastor in New York City. My wife was a worship pastor. Um, and then we served faithfully here at a local church for about two and a half years before really feeling the call of God to plant a church. Um, and with that comes its own set of challenges, which I'm sure Pastor Seth is familiar with. Um, really praying about where it is that God is calling you and, and, and who it is that God is calling you to. Um, and God just called us to the south end of Peoria. While, while visiting before we moved, my wife and I had driven by there countless times. The south end of Peoria was a spot that was familiar to us because it reminded us of back home. We weren't raised. When people think New York City, you think Times Square, Empire State Building, Statue of Liberty. Those stuff are amazing, but New York City's not always that pretty. <laughs> There's, there's a lot of ugly in New York. There's a lot of messy in New York. And where my wife and I were raised were, was a, uh, a community very much just like the south end of Peoria. So it was easy for our hearts to gravitate to such a people group, to such a community, and um, really let them know that they are loved. And we're going to talk more about that, but to let them know that there's people that care about them, there's people that see them, and there's people that love them. So in August of last year, we started our very first Bible study Um, on the south end of Peoria. We met out of Logan Recreation Center, um, and we did Bible study there to the end of the year. We outgrew Logan, and now we meet at Traywin Pavilion, still on the south end, right, just a few short streets away from Harrison Homes, Um, and we meet there consistently. Um, At one point this summer, we had a group of about 40-some-odd kids come out, which was bananas, Um, but it is a good problem to have. People are gravitating to church, and let it start with the little ones. Um, So right now we're in the phase where we meet just regularly for Bible study. Our first Sunday launch is scheduled for June 2nd of next year. So be praying for us. We're excited um, about what God's going to do, and we're excited about the people's response to not only Christ, but to having our church there to to, to show that we love them, that we care for them, and that we're here for them. Um, So that's just a little bit of what God is doing. I'm, I'm really excited to share for this week, too. Um, as I open up my notes, you guys don't want me going off notes because we'll be here all day. Um, 
love Peoria. I love, go figure, I love the, the phrase, um, but I also love what it means. I moved here three and a half years ago now, um, and it's one that I've come to adapt personally. I hear people and I talk with people, and you see reports about people moving out of Peoria, and I'm just a little weirdo here like, I love this place. This place is awesome. I love everything about it. I love its people. I love it, the culture here. I love everything about this city. But what I've had to remind myself is that love is more than just words. It's easy to say we love something. It's easy to verbally communicate that we love something. But there's so much more to it than just saying it. There's so much more to our love than just what our, our words can articulate. I've had to remind myself that what needs to be backed behind my love is an action that shows it. But with that, actions in and of themselves can be empty. If my heart is not behind my actions, my actions can be empty and void of any real significance. So when we talk about love, love has to be the very essence of who we are. Love isn't just something we say. Love isn't just something we do. But love is truly who we are. I'm glad Pastor was here this morning. And when you and I talk about love, we have to talk about us. We have to look at us. Do we say it just to say it? I get off the phone with my wife and I say, I love you. Sometimes it's just by, by habit at this point. So do we say it just to say it or are we actually walking it out? Are we actually living in love? So before I get into the crux of this message, there's a couple things that I want to share about love. The first one is that love requires proximity. Love requires proximity. Mark chapter 12, and you can write this down. You don't have to turn there if you're taking notes. Mark chapter 12, verse 32 in the NIV says, The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than this. The thought of love and the thought of loving our neighbor is so attractive. It's such a beautiful thing to say. But proximity is messy. How many people here, just by show of hands, are in a relationship? Married, boyfriend, dating? Most people here. Now, if you're in love with that person, by show of hands, hopefully the same number of hands. By show of hands, are you in love with that person? All right, there we go. That was a little scary. Don't get in trouble. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> I don't want to get anybody in trouble here this morning. Proximity is messy. When you are in close relationship with someone, when you love someone, it is not always the prettiest of things. There's arguments. There's seeing the ugly side of me. They're seeing me when I wake up in the morning. They're seeing me without coffee. Praise God I had coffee this morning. Um, there's, a, there, there's a side to love and there's a side to this closeness that isn't always pretty. But if we are people that say we truly love, and in this case and for the sake of this series, truly love our city, love requires proximity. It requires us being close to our neighbors. The second is this, love your neighbors as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. If we are to be a church that loves our neighbors, we have to be in close proximity with our neighbors. It requires the proximity regardless of where they are, what they believe, what they look like, how they dress, how they vote, what side of the church they sit in. Do they sit in the back? Do they sit in the front? Did he come with shorts? Is his beard too long? Love, love requires a proximity regardless of our differences. John chapter 3, verse 16 
famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. I don't think there's any expression of love that can be greater than that because God gave his son to be what? In close proximity with us. It says he loved the world that he gave his son. He gave his son to be in close relationship to us. He didn't give his son just to say, you guys are a bunch of sinners that are going to do no good and be no good. But he gave his son because he loved us and he gave his son to be in close proximity with you and I. The second thing that love does, love requires proximity, but love also creates space for compassion. The great, the great philosopher by the name of Google um, defined love, as, uh, defined compassion rather as sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortune of others. Psalms 145 verses 8 and 9 in the Passion Translation says, you're kind and tender-hearted to those who don't deserve it and very patient with people who fail you. Your love is like a flooding river overflowing its banks with kindness. God sees, God, everyone sees your goodness for your tender love is blended into everything we do. You see, love is never really about us. Love is about what we can do for others. Love creates space for compassion. And in the same token, when we talk about loving our city, love doesn't necessarily have to judge someone by where they currently are. Love meets them where they are. Love sees the future that God sees in them. Love doesn't say, well, if you would have made better decisions, you wouldn't be in the situation you're in. Love doesn't say, well... You know, if you would have saved up money, you would have not done this. Love creates space for compassion. Love is tender-hearted, And love sees past the situations people might currently be in and sees them as God sees them with the potential that they have. There's a, my wife and I frequent, um, sadly, we frequent the Walmart uh, over on Allen Road way too often than we should. Um, but we do frequent a lot. And upon exiting the Walmart, there's, a, there's always a gentleman there. Um, standing with a sign, always requesting money. And there was this one time that the, the entire family was in, was in our van, and, and we stopped, and it was a red light. Um, so the gentleman kind of came up to the car asking for, some, asking for some money, and I rolled down the window, and I think you were sitting in the passenger seat. He came up to the passenger side, and we gave him some money. And my, my daughter, she's two years old, sitting in the back seat. She goes, Daddy, why, why'd you give him money? And I said, well, baby, no, I think it was first, Daddy, who's that? And I said, well, baby, that's Daddy's friend. That's your friend. My daughter's very smart, and she's like, I've never seen this guy before. But I said, Dad, I said, baby, that's daddy's friend. She goes, okay. Well, why'd you give him money? I said, well, baby, he asked daddy for some money, so I gave him some money. What we have to see is that I could have easily been judgmental. We don't have to raise our hands, but how many people here have been judgmental before? I'll look away. I won't look at you personally. I'm not looking anyone in the eye. But what we tend to do, taking that situation, what we tend to do is, is try to figure out his whole life story while we stand at that red light. Well, how did he get to where he was? What decisions did he make? What's he going to do with my money? Is he going to ask the next person for my money? I wonder where he lives. Is he telling the truth? Is he really homeless? Is he lying? We are the best FBI investigators there are when it comes to stuff like that. But what love does is that love creates space for compassion. I don't care what he's going to do with my money. That's between him and God. And you know what? The reality is I don't care what he did yesterday. I don't care what he did an hour before my car pulled up to that red light. Love says that I'm going to see you as God sees you. 
and I will give you this money, praying and hoping you do the right thing. Could you go out and do something wrong with it? Absolutely. But that's a chance I'll take for the sake of love. That's a chance I'll take for the sake of loving my city and being compassionate towards people. Because I don't need to give him any more flack than what he probably already has. Sitting on a corner is probably embarrassing. Waiting down for windows to roll down and for you to extend a cup through the window, I can't imagine what that feels like. But what love does is that love creates space for compassion. So when we talk about loving our city, we have to have compassion for its occupants. We have to have compassion and see people as God sees them. Compassion is an ingredient that makes love flourish. The third thing that love does, and I'm just getting started. I haven't even got into the message yet. Pastor told me I can go for about an hour and a half. He said that's pretty typical here. Is that all right? Okay, good. The third thing that love does is that love changes the narrative. Psalm 36, verse 5 and 6 in the message translation, and it is up on the screen, says God's love is meteoric, his, lo- his loyalty astronomic, his purpose titanic, his verdicts oceanic, yet in his largeness nothing gets lost. Not a man, not a mouse slips through the cracks. Something about that verse that just, mm. I'll read it one more time. God's love, meteoric. His loyalty, astronomic. His purpose, titanic. His verdicts, oceanic. Yet nothing, yet in his largeness, nothing gets lost. Not a man, not a mouse slips through the cracks. You see, what love does is that love changes the narrative. Love changes the way we see people. It changes the words that we use. It changes the lens that that we see people through from the lens of us being imperfect beings through the lens of Christ. You see, you and I can change the narrative by changing the language that we so readily use on a regular basis. We use language like the South End to describe a town, a part of town that tends to be neglected at times. We use terms like white people. We use terms like the poor people. We use terms like the left, the right. And we use these terms so readily, and they've become such a regular part of our vocabulary. But if we start to change the language and we start to see people as God sees them, that changes the narrative of our city. That changes the narrative. That changes the divisiveness of our city, but it also changes the narrative. It goes from seeing people as them to seeing people like us. And if we're to be a church that loves our city, we have to start seeing people as us. But what happens so often is that with the narrative and the tone and the language that we use, it becomes us, sitting wholly on our high horse, and it becomes them out in the community. But again, if we're going to be a church that loves Peoria as ourself, we have to change the language. We have to change the narrative of what we do. I think about that verse in Psalms, and it talks about God's love, his loyalty, his purpose, his verdicts, and they're all these like immeasurable things. But yet it says nothing falls through the cracks. I've lived in New York City. We've had mice in New York City, and when they occupy your home, they're a little slick, and they'll, they'll go places where you can't find them. So it's funny that it says not a man, not a mouse slips through the cracks. Nobody in this community where Reachway serves should be falling through the cracks. Nobody in the city of Peoria where multiple churches occupy should be falling through the cracks. But that only changes when we change the narrative. 
It only happens when we change the narrative and change the language that we use. Let's start seeing people as God sees them. Let's start seeing people, if we truly believe that you and I are created in the image of God, we start seeing people differently. I start seeing you as a daughter of Christ. I start seeing you as a son of a king. I start seeing you different regardless whether you go to my church, whether regardless of whether you were raised the same way as I, as I was, but I see the image of Christ in you. And if we truly start seeing the image of Christ in everything, in people, in creation, in the city, in, the, in every street that we go down, our lives will look a whole lot different. Our love will look a whole lot different when we start to see Christ in every single thing that we do. And when we love our city, we're functioning in the very instruction that Jesus shared with his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you want to go to page, and if, you, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible um, directly in front of you, I believe. Um, and we're going to be at page 1,505. I'm going to be sharing from Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. I'll give you guys a few seconds to get there. If you need it, it'll also be up on the screen as well. Matthew chapter 5. Verses 14 through 16. And it says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand to give light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. You see, church, light and love go hand in hand. Love is the very nature of God, and light is who Jesus himself identifies with. In our instructions of being the light of the world, we're charged with, being most, we're charged with the task of being most like Christ. But let's talk about light for a second. The very first time we hear about light in Scripture is in the very first book of the Bible, in the very first chapter of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Not true, 2 through 4. It says, The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then God said, Let there be. All right, this side is awake. Let's try this again. And God said, Let there be. And there was. And God saw that the light was good, then he separated the light from the darkness. What I want us to focus in on is that light's original intent was to change the atmosphere. I'm glad some people are with me here this morning. See, the purpose of light wasn't just to be. It wasn't just to stay as is. It says, the scripture says, darkness covered the deep waters. The spirit of God was hovering over the surface. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Light's original intent, it's, it, it, the purpose that it served was to disrupt the current climate, to disrupt the atmosphere. And if you and I are charged with being light, you and I have to go into these dark places of our city, go into dark places of our town, go to people who are facing some dark trials and tribulations and say, I'm going to be light. I'm going to disrupt this place. I can't imagine being in the story. I, I, when I read scripture, I try to put myself in the story as much as I can. I can't imagine being around in Genesis chapter 1 where it's just complete darkness and then this weird thing called light comes about. It just doesn't make sense. It, 
it, it, it messed up the flow of everything that was going on at the time. And if you and I are called to be light, we have to be disruptive. I don't mean being rude, but I mean we have to disrupt situations. We have to say that, no, darkness won't win in this. Your situation that you're currently going through, it's not going to last because there's light. And if I'm going to be light here, then darkness got to go. Light's original intent was to change the atmosphere. And the same thing is, is to be said for you and I. We have to take... We have to take what just is in our city and elevate it to a place that it's never seen before. Because that's what light does. Light shines a light into a place that's never seen the brightness before. And if you and I are called to be light, we have to elevate something from a status of what just was to where it can be. If I turned all the lights off in this place, and I won't because I'm a little scared of the dark. Um, but if we did a blackout in this place and I started shining a light, it brings to light something that we can't currently see with our own eyes. And in our city, there's things that people cannot imagine seeing themselves as. There's people that can't imagine seeing past the current struggle that they're in. But what light does is that light sees them like Christ sees them. And light says, you know what? I know what you're going through right now. I know what you might be facing right now, but there's a hope. There's a light. And I want to shine a light. I want to be bright in someone's life that might need it. I want to be bright in someone's life that might be going through the motions that might just be down and out. I want to be light for those very people because light's original intent was to disrupt the atmosphere. And I want to be disruptive in as many people's lives as I can be. Not for the sake of being rude and, and to be disruptive, to be a pain in the butt, but to be disruptive and say, I'm going to shake up everything you know as normal, and I'm going to shine a light in this place. Is that all right? Again, if you're taking notes, John chapter 1, verse 5 in the NIV, it says the light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Another translation says that the darkness cannot apprehend it. And yet another translation says that light shines in the darkness, light shines in the darkness, and love cannot comprehend it. If you and I are shining lights, there's some dark places in this city. I know it. I've driven around here, and there's some dark places where our church is, down on the south end of Peoria, there's some dark places. And there's some dark situations, and there's some dark, there's just overall darkness and heaviness in that place. But if we're being light, we're not meant just merely to shine. We're meant to illuminate places where darkness thinks it's, it, it won. Now, if that doesn't make sense, there's people in our city that currently think where they are is all they'll ever be. I know I was raised in a similar neighborhood as some some of the people you guys come in contact with, some of the people we come in contact with daily. You have this mindset and this view of life where, where where you are is all you'll ever become. It's why people move out of what they call the hood and think that's the only way they'll succeed is if I get out. But what people have to see is that where they are, darkness will not win. But the catch is that it, don't, it, it won't only win. The way it doesn't win is if you and I are light. If we shine our light in places that that darkness cannot overcome, that darkness cannot apprehend, we're breaking past a bond that people will never see themselves the same way ever again. And if we're going to love on our city and if we're going to love Peoria, we have to make people see things that they've never seen before. We have to make them see past a situation where they think it'll last an eternity, where they think the condition of their life and the condition of their heart, I've been like this 20, 30, 40 years, and there's no God, there's no hope, there's no... 
There's no nothing. This is my life. This is where I am. This is all I'll ever be. But what light does is say, I'm going to disrupt this place. Darkness has no say in this place. Darkness cannot apprehend light. Again, if we did a blackout in this place and I shined a flashlight, shone a flashlight, whatever one that works, darkness cannot overcome that. There'll be some dark places until I go and I pan the room. But darkness cannot overcome the light. If I shine a light here in a dark room, that light's going to shine. I don't care how dark it is in this room. If I shine a light, it's going to shine. Darkness cannot overcome my light. Darkness cannot apprehend this light. So if you and I are going to be agents of of change in this city, and if we're going to love our city, we have to go and be light and be confident in being our light. And similar to love, light is just not something we say and do but rather it's a product of who we are and what's within us. It's a product of who we are and what's within us. Light is our greatest compliment, but it's also our greatest challenge. And I'll break that down. It's our greatest compliment because Jesus himself, in John chapter 8, verse 12, says, spoke to the people once more and says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness but you'll have the light that leads to life. So light is our greatest compliment in that it compares us most to Christ. He says, I am the light of the world. So if we talk about being light, it's a great compliment to be Christ-like. It's a great thing to know I'm most like Christ in trying to be light. But it's also our greatest challenge because of the latter part of that verse. It says, if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness, but you will have the light that leads to life. And there is our challenge. We have a light that leads to life. And there might be situations that you're going through. There might be situations that people in this city are going through that need some life. There might be situations that you can think of right now or people that you can think of right now that just need some life sparked in them. That just need their situations to have some life spoken into them. And that's what you and I are here for. If we consider ourselves to be followers of Christ, you and I have something within us of substance. You and I have something within us. We have a light that leads to life within us. I have it. Pastor Seth has it. You guys, every one of you sitting here has a life. But, what, but the question remains, do we use it? Do we use it? Again, it's easy to have lip service and talk about being the light of the world, and it sounds great. But are we using it, or are we hiding it under a bowl? The compliment of being light is awesome, but if we're not leading others to light, thus leading them to life, then what is it worth? I brought a a light bulb with me, and there's a funny story that I shared with Pastor this morning, and I'm going to share it with you guys, and we can put that light bulb image. There we go. So this morning, I I had this light bulb, um, and I had it out for about a week to bring this, this morning. And I tried to be fancy, and I tried to get another light bulb to bring you guys that was a little different to compare the two. And um, this story has nothing to do with my message. Just bear with me. Um, I'm, I'm messing around with the light bulb. My two-year-old daughter, same one who asked who the guy was, she goes, Daddy, be careful playing with the light bulb. I was trying to get the, the piece off. And I said, oh, I got it. Don't worry about it. I'm dead. 
Then the light bulb cracks. It, it cuts my finger. I have blood, and I was embarrassed that my daughter told me not to mess with the light bulb, and I still did. Thus, I only bring one light bulb with, with me this morning. But the interesting thing about a light bulb is that this is not light. Does that make sense? In and of itself, this is not light. You and I standing here, sitting here this morning, in and of ourselves, are not light. We are of no substance if we're not connected to something. You see, what, what, what lights this light bulb isn't this shell. You'll see, you see the image on the screen. What lights it is what's within it. And this is one of those fancy LED ones, so I had to be sure and I had to open it to make sure it had the same thing and not make me look silly. But what's in it is what illuminates it. If connected properly, it'll shine bright. I can connect this in a bunch of different places. And if it's not connected properly, it won't serve its fullest potential. You see, a light bulb in and of itself is great. These things are sold worldwide, make a ton of money. But in and of itself, it's ineffective. In and of itself, it has no use. I sell you this right now. It doesn't do anything. But what's key is what's it connected to. What's key is its connection has the power. Switched on, it's fully at work. I can connect it, but if I never turn the power on, it's still ineffective. We can be connected... But if we're not turning ourselves on, if we're not going out to do the work, we're just as ineffective. But sometimes we sit and we just sit like this light bulb and we sit up on a shelf and we think that, you know, I love this city. I love everything about it. I'm the light of the world. That's great. And this light bulb just sits on a shelf. Similar to this light bulb was just sitting on a shelf. And yet it's not living out its fullest potential. There's so many rooms that this thing can illuminate. There's so many ways that this light can have purpose and have meaning. And so many atmospheres that can be disrupted by this light. But we have to get connected. You and I have to be, one, connected to the power source. We have to be connected to God. And two, we have to be switched on. If we're going to be light of the world and if we're going to love the city of Peoria like ourselves... We got to be in motion. We have to be on at all times in our city, whether we're getting out of church, whether we're driving home, whether we're going to Kroger, to Walmart, to wherever we're going, we have to be switched on. Being the light of the world cannot be something we just turn off and say, this is for Sunday. Turn on. Because there's people and there's a city and there's a community waiting for our light. Light is associated with visibility. What are people seeing when they see us? What are people seeing when they see us? What are we showing people? How visible is Christ in the lives that we live daily? It's easy to show Christ here on a Sunday morning. Lift my hands. I'll pray. Pastor, things are going great. I am blessed and highly favored. But are, we, are people seeing that Sunday night? People seeing that Monday morning. Are people seeing that at work? When you don't like everybody at work. Come on. 
That's all right. And as I wrap up, if we're talking about love and being the light of the world, what we have to keep in mind is that it's not for us. The way we love people and how bright we shine our light is really not for us. Love and light are our our outward manifestations of what God has done within us. This light shining is a product of everything that is within it. This is only effective because of everything that's within it. So the way we love and the way we, the way we shine our light bright for people is a manifestation of what God has done within us. The latter part of that verse in Matthew chapter 5 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's time for people to see God in us. Why? So they can glorify our Father in heaven. There's no action I'd rather do that leads someone to glorifying God. So let people see us, not for us to get the pat on the back. If I know Pastor Seth well enough, if I know Reachway fam well enough, it's not for Reachway to get all the credit and say we're the best, biggest, baddest churches there is and I'm the best pastor there is. It's for God to get the credit. So let others see our good work. Let's love on people in the most radical of ways. Let's be light in the most the darkest of situations. Why? Not so people can say, man, you're awesome. You're a great Christian. No, so that they can say, man, there's a God through you that I didn't even think existed. Let other people see our good deeds, not for the sake of patting us on the back, but for saying, I want to know who it is that's working within you. I want to know who it is that's doing something within you that made you do this. And if we're talking about loving Peoria and loving our city and loving Peoria as ourselves, our good deeds have to reflect the God at work within us. Our good deeds have to show that it's not about me. It's not about my church. It's not about what I want to do. It's about loving people as God loves them. So I know last week you guys had a a directive, and I'll share one for you uh, this morning. And I believe it'll be up on the screen as well. But the directive is encourage, encourage, encourage. Try to identify people in your life who need encouragement to keep going. If we're going to be the light of the world, we have, to, we have to know people. I'm sure we know people who might need a little boost, who might need a phone call, who might need to see a text that says, you know what, I'm thinking about you. I love you. Maybe they need a reminder that their lives matter. Maybe they need to know that they're loved. Think of creative ways this week as you get out of here. Think of creative ways that you guys can change the tone or change the narrative in someone's life or situation. Just even thinking about that, I know I can think of people that can use a phone call, can use a text, people I might go visit this week. There's got to be someone that you know that you can encourage. And this is a practical and a tangible way for you to say, you know what, I love Peoria as myself. I'm going to go encourage. I'm going to go love on someone today. I'm going to go out of my way to do something different this week. Can I pray with you guys? All right. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for being you. I thank you for just demonstrating a love for us that we are now tasked with doing the same for your people here in the city of Peoria, God. Proximity's messy. Compassion at times can be hard. 
and changing the narrative isn't always easy. But God, I pray that you just do a work in our heart. I pray that you just soften our heart this morning, God, so that we can see you in every single thing that we do, so that we can see your love. We can be reminded that you sent your son because you loved us, and we can be reminded that there's people outside of the walls of this church who need just the same amount of love. So, God, I ask that you just do a work in our hearts. Let us start from within who we are and let it flow outwardly, God. God, I just pray for the people here of Reachway, God, that this be the beginning of a movement that doesn't fade. This be the beginning of a movement that becomes the norm. That loving Peoria isn't just a the name of a series or the name of a movement, but it becomes a way of life. That loving Peoria is something we come to live. God, I pray for the people even outside of these walls that don't know Reachway yet, that don't know love yet, that don't know Christ yet, that we can shine our light to those very people, that we can be beacons of hope to those people, that we can show people that we see them, that we love them, that we care for them, God, just do a work in this city like you've never done before. Let us start here in this church. Let us start here at Reachway. Let people start talking about the work that Reachway is doing and the work that God is doing through Reachway. God, that you just have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.